Um, I wish I had a great opening story uh, or something awesome to get into Acts chapter three. We're gonna start in verse one. Truth is, is that the story itself is so awesome that I don't need to crack any jokes. So here we go, you ready? Acts chapter three, verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Can we pause right there and just put just a little bit of context on this? Uh, the ninth hour, about 3, 4 p.m., it's in kind of mid to late afternoon. Um, two different times during the day, the Jewish people would have specific sacrifices, and at that time of specific sacrifice, they would also gather, oftentimes, whoever was close enough to get there would also gather in corporate prayer. So early in the morning, they would have a time of sacrifice and would gather in prayer. Um, kind of that mid to late afternoon slot, they would have a time of sacrifice and corporate prayer. Um, two fixed points of, of prayer every day. Can I just let that hang for a second and say this? Having a fixed time to pray every day, that doesn't necessarily sound like a bad idea, does it? I mean, maybe just maybe we read this and go, huh, what would it look like for me to have a fixed time or times of prayer every day. You set a little alarm on your phone or on your watch if your watch is connected to your phone because nobody actually sets their watch anymore, right? And so uh, you set your alarm on your whatever it may be uh, to just and you have a time, a specific time, where you stop and pray. This drove home for me last summer. We were on vacation at Pine Cove doing family camp with our family. Uh, I'm sitting there talking to the director. We're having a great little conversation. There's pickleball going on. I mean, just right from me to the front row, just right here. We're just talking away. His watch goes off. Beep, 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 beep. He's like, ah, 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 ah. which button do I push? Every day at this particular time, he looks at me. Every day at this particular time, I stop and pray for our staff, uh, for our, our, our ministry staff at, at Pine Cove. Would you join me in prayer? And pickleball, everything else is still happening. We stop right there and we pray. A fixed time of prayer. I'm not saying that that fixes the world. I am saying that sure seems like a wise idea. One more piece of wisdom in there. Do you see in the, at the beginning of verse one, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer and they got involved in this thing. They went as pairs. There's power and there's wisdom. There's protection in doing ministry with others, not on your own, just wisdom, Okay. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So they were going from that kind of outer court where the, everybody could mingle into the inner court, and then you know from there you kind of progressed closer and closer to the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So just pause before we get to the punchline here. Guy paralyzed in some manner, crippled in some manner, lame in some physical manners, has to be carried there, set down, takes off his little hat, turns it upside down, alms for the poor, alms for the pay, buddy, can you spare any change? However he asked it, right? He asked it. And he's sitting there, and as they, Peter and John were walking by, they hear him call out, alms for the poor, hey, can you spare any change? And they look at him, and he thinks, maybe, just maybe, they'll help me. Little did he know. So they stopped, and they stepped right up to him. And here's what happened, verse 6. Peter said, 
I have no silver and gold. Now, there's a comma at the end of that phrase for me. I just wonder if that comma is pretty pregnant with meaning. Because, I mean, if I'm a guy who's asking for alms, for, for, for um, handouts, if you will, for people to put money in my hat, and, and a guy calls, comes up to me and says, hey, I don't have any money. I'm like, keep moving, keep moving. There's people behind you, keep moving. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. And, don't miss this, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Sometimes God works through a process of healing. Sometimes he just fixes stuff. Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And, I love this, and leaping up. (laughs) Hey, my stuff works now, and it used not to work. I think I'll just go ahead and start skipping rope here, right? I mean, that's kind of what, leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So Peter and John just kind of went on into the temple, and you've got this person behind you, pogo-sticking, Look, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Everybody praise God with me. That's what's going on. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And just as a closing um, comment on the text, um, God works miraculously so that people will be filled with wonder and amazement. He's not so insecure that he has to show off. He's not, he does it so that people will say, we've never seen anything like that before. In which you go, yep, you're right. Now, and that's what Peter will do. We'll look at this next week. Uh, where he'll say, and if you think that we did it, you're wrong. Let me tell you, Jesus did it. That's what he'll say. So he, 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 God does these kind of things so people will be filled with wonder and amazement. So um, this, this particular story encapsulates for me so much of what the book of Acts is about, so much of what we've been talking about, this kind of heart of the series. I know we've pounded on this. I, we won't necessarily do it every week, but I think it's important to just put it out there one more time uh, to say it out loud that the heart of this series encompasses kind of uh, uh, the, the two impulses. One is we would experience kind of ongoing inward transformation, that the Spirit of God would so work in us that the transformation would continue and continue and continue. He would continue to do deeper things. He would continue to do more meaningful things. He would continue to do broader things in us, not leaving any part of us untouched by his power ongoing inward transformation. Secondly, that we would also then uh, be a part of, as we see in the book of Acts, um, ongoing outward ministry. Our ongoing inward transformation would not cause us to huddle, would not cause us to fortress, would not cause us to be together in ways uh, that exclude others. Instead, it would turn us outward in ministry. Ongoing inward transformation, ongoing outward ministry. That's what I think happens here in in, uh, Acts chapter three. So today, I wanna have just a minute where we think about and talk about um, need, and then we think about it and we talk about risk, okay? Need and risk. Those two words, 
want you to ponder along with me today. Let's talk about need. This guy's um, here at the temple gate. He obviously has significant need. Um, everybody can see the visible need that he has. But just like Jesus did when he was um, physically on the earth, so it is with Peter and John and others, that there was, there was a clear, physical, uh, visible need, but they were also willing not only to deal with that, but also willing to deal with the deeper need. And that's the part that I don't want to miss, is that there was a deeper need that this guy has. There's a deeper need that you and I have. It's a deeper need that other people around us have. It's the deeper need we prayed for a while ago. But there is a visible need, but there's a, a, a deeper, more significant need as well. Here's the thing I want us to wrap our minds around. Sometimes the needs that are seen aren't necessarily the needs that are deepest in a person's life. Here it is with this guy. His need is very, very visible. Let's just walk through, how how do we help this guy? I mean, we're walking, how, how would you and I do it? How could we understand? Here, here, who could help? Number one, could he help himself? What's the answer to that? No, he could not help himself. It is the very definition of paralysis that you cannot do what you want to do. I'm telling my foot to move and it will not move. I'm telling my foot not to move and it will not stop, right? I mean, like, it is the very definition that there is a disconnect between what I am telling it to do and what it is actually doing. It's not that he could not help himself. Church family, we are surrounded by people who have needs, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, all that stuff. And here's the one thing that is true about every one of them. They cannot help themselves. They cannot. If they try, all they end up doing is is failing, proving very clearly and regularly that they cannot help themselves. Um, What about the broader culture? This guy sits in a culture where people would come and go and be in and out, and there was a structure around, cultural structure around him. Is there something that culture had to offer that could help him? What's the answer? No. Is there a kind of a a philosophy? Is there a, a... Teaching? Is there a, a, a movement? Is there a protest? Is there a song? Is there a, a, a drama uh, or a, a musical? Is there something out there that the culture brings to the table artistically, philosophically, or practically? Is there something that they bring to the table that could then help this guy? And what's the answer? No. No, they cannot. Culture um, cannot help this guy. There's not a, 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 a movie that they could show him. There's not music. There's not thought. There's not a book to hand the poor guy. Uh, there's not a movement that can help him. Here's another one. And I know, uh, here's, I mean, those two are, you know, fairly obvious, right? This one, uh, it has nothing to do with what we're experiencing today. It's completely irrelevant, but I thought I would just go ahead and say it. Could politics help this guy? What's the answer? Well, mister, we're going to pass some laws here, and uh, you know, you're going to be better at the end of this thing. Politics cannot help this fellow. They cannot meet the visible need, and they cannot meet the deeper need. Why in the world would you say such a thing right now? Can we just, let's be really clear, church. 
God is, I mean, politics are necessary and good can be done through it. But let's not misplace our hope in a political system made up of flawed humans. We have a hope in the kingdom of God. And it's way, way better than what any other people could offer us. Okay? Not politics. Politics is not going to help this fellow. Um, how about this one? How about religion? Because he's sitting at the gate of the temple. Surely the priests from inside the temple could come out to the temple, or out of the temple by the beautiful gate, said, to, hey, mister, we'd like to help you, right? I mean, this is what religion is supposed to do, is help people just like this. But here it is. I mean, he's sitting there, and it wasn't just one day. It wasn't just, uh, you know, every other day. It wasn't Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He sat there regularly, so much so that everybody who went in and everybody who came out, once that guy got healed, said, that dude used to be at the gate begging. You remember that guy? Everybody knew him. Could religion bring to the table something that would help this guy? Not only could it not, but it never did. That's the thing. I mean, the priest stayed inside of the temple. Here he was at the locus, at the very center of Jewish religion. He was on the outskirts of the very of the temple itself. And yet he was not helped. And they wouldn't help. Not religion. Well, does the church have anything to say, anything to say to all of this? What, 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 what all of these things, what he himself, what the culture, uh, what politics and what religion, what all of those could offer him was an easing, if you will, of his suffering, but it was not going to deal with his greatest need. So it is with us. We face a world that has, yes, some very visible needs, but underneath that need is the same need for you and me and everybody else. Underneath that need is a world unable to help themselves or anyone else with their sin. And so, what do we do with that? Does the church have anything to offer? Yes, of course it does. The church has plenty to say about culture, about politics, about religion and religious freedom. Uh, about um, health and holistic health and ethics and psychology and philosophy and education and race religion, uh, race relations and marriages and parenting and other relationships. The church has plenty to say on all of that. We have something to say, but there is one thing, church, that we must say. One thing we must say. And that is what Peter said. Silver and gold, eh, not too much. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. That's, we have a name that we, that we must say. We can say a lot to a lot of things, but there is one thing that we must say, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We must confess his name. Now, here's the pushback immediately, and I get it. Hey, listen, if their world is falling apart, do you think that they're going to hear that? What's the answer? No, they're not. Just this morning, just this morning, I'm reading... Exodus chapter 6, God makes this very clear. Moses is getting ready to go um, uh, speak to the people of Egypt. He actually speaks to them. He says, hey, listen, good news. You're in slavery right now to, um, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. God's going to deliver you. Isn't that awesome? And the Bible says this, they couldn't hear, they could not hear him because of the, the, the hardness of their life, the, the struggle that they were in. They couldn't hear 
because of what they were going through. Their circumstances affected their receptivity to the word of God. So the pushback is absolutely right. It's absolutely true. Just this week, we had two houses pop up, one right back over here um, around the corner from one of our people, one a little bit further down where two houses popped up. They hadn't done hardly anything post-Harvey. And we're going, "Uh, God, how do we turn away from this? How do we do that? Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to walk in and go, we want you to know that Jesus loves you. What are we going to do? We're going to walk in with sheetrock and hammers and that kind of thing so we can say, but here's the thing. We can help fix houses. We can speak into marriages. We can speak into parenting situations and other relationships. We can speak to education. We can speak to culture and values that the culture ought to have, but we must speak his name. That's the thing. We must. I don't want to surrender the other, but it cannot dislodge or displace what is primary. It cannot. So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, look back in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So just Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I think Peter uses this on purpose. Um, Jesus, he is a man. Right? That's, that's his earthly name. Jesus is a man, God in the flesh. He has become like us. Right? He has taken on humanity um, to be in our midst and to be like us. He could have come down in some other form. He came down as a man so that you and I could relate to him and he could, in that sense, relate to us. He's a it's God become man, Jesus. From Nazareth, from Nazareth. Why is that important? Why did he say from Nazareth? Uh, there's a story in John chapter 1. Uh, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus speaks to another who would become his disciple said, man, good news, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember the response? If you've been around church, maybe you remember this. Uh, He looked at him and he said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So this is, pick your favorite podunk town, okay? I mean like far east Texas, far west Texas, doesn't matter. Pick your favorite podunk town and just insert it. Blank, I grew up in Huntsville. Shiro, can anything could come out of Shiro? Just pick your favorite. I mean, that's the thing. I say that because uh, he was rejected as this man himself, sitting at the uh, side of the beautiful gate, as he was rejected, as so many of us have experienced rejected. He was a man who was rejected. Jesus of Nazareth. Reject. But right there in the middle is Christ. Christ is the New Testament way of saying the Old Testament word Messiah. And so a man who was rejected and ultimately hung on a cross became not just a savior, but became the savior of the world. He not only carried our sins and took them on so that we didn't have to carry them anymore. He then died in our place and rose again to give us life and freedom. That's the good news of the gospel. A man who was a reject became the savior of you, me, this guy, and everybody else that we know. That's why we have to speak his name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm not saying that fixes everything. What I am saying is we have a fix for the main thing and then we can work on the rest. What is that fix? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What does this look like? 
Peter, this guy who's talking, brings this up a couple of different times in the letter. First <clears throat> Peter chapter two, verse 24, 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So who bore our sins? Jesus did. You know what that means? I don't have to bear them. Jesus carried them. I don't have to. Jesus took them to the grave. I don't have to. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter's going to go on. I mentioned this a while ago. He's going to say, hey, um, hey, if you think Peter and John had something to do with this, you need to know that's not the case at all. Jesus is the one who brought this guy to wholeness and health. That has always been the thing. His brokenness, we talk about this when we do communion, his brokenness means that you and I could be made whole. He himself bore, his sin, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep away from God, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So right there in the midst of all of this awesome talk about healing and wholeness, he says, hey, what is mainly wrong with you is you were far from God straying and now you have come home. You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. People, you and I, we, everybody we know, we were made for a relationship with God. And so when we're far from God, that's a disconnect that our soul cannot take. He said, just in 1 Peter 3, he says it later like this. We read it just a moment ago. For Christ also suffered once for sins. How many times? Just once. Not repeatedly year after year, just once. He also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Do you need to write yourself into that particular phrase? You know which one you are, right? Right? Don't make me preach anymore up here. The righteous for the unrighteous. We're the unrighteous, just so we're clear. That he might bring us to God. Why did he suffer? That he might bring us to God. We were far from God, and what do we get? We get brought to God. Why? Because we're so awesome? No, because he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that you and I may be brought to God. Being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. He carried our sins to the grave, and he rose victorious, leaving them dead. And so the Bible says later in Romans, we are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what this looks like. That's what the Messiah has done. That's why his name must come out of our mouth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the need. I offer this to you this morning as someone who cares deeply about the people in here to to say this. Number one, some of you may be at a place where you're like, you know what? I, I need to respond now. I need to give my life to Jesus. This one who has borne our sins, this one who has carried our shame as we've sung, this one who has called my name and now it is my time to come running out of the grave and into his glorious day. If that's you this morning, man, I would love to visit with you. Um, We'll have a conversation at the back here as soon as we're done. As As we turn though, not just inward transformation, that's incredible. But then God moves us outward in ministry. And so I want to take just a second and talk about risk. Um, Peter and John, they stopped. And I mean, you ever been at that place where people are walking along and somebody just stops in the middle, right? Everybody's going into the temple for the sacrifice for times of prayer and they stop. And everybody's like, you know, getting bumped into and all that. There's a risk inherent there. There's a risk. And I want to talk for a second about risk. And here's the thing that has crawled all up on me this week. 
How many times, not am I unwilling to risk, but I just don't catch it and, and, and therefore I'm not able to risk. In other words, how many times do I miss taking a risk for the sake of the kingdom of God because I miss the person? I actually don't, don't connect with it. I don't, it doesn't cross my mind. And I wrote down some reasons why I think this happens associated with risk. You ready? Um, here's one of them. Uh, one of them, uh, if I miss the man, if I'm Peter or John and walk along here and I just miss, why might that be? Number one, I, I might not see him. I think the primary issue is one of distraction at this point. I, I just don't see him. I'm about to make a confession. When I make this confession, I'm telling you, this is not good, okay? Here's my confession. Thursday night, basketball practice. My kid's on one end. I got a little bit next to me here. My kid's playing on one end. Uh, we walk in right behind a church member and his son. I'm like, hey, how's it going? High fives, fist bumps, all that kind of stuff. Hope you all have a great practice. They're on the other end. I'm on this end. Coach needed some help with the drills. A uh, little bit stays seated and I go help with drills. We get into a little uh, uh, thing with, you know, dads and the, the kids and stuff. And then I, after that, it's everybody scrimmage, everybody. So I go sit back down thinking to myself, boy, you're out of shape. I'm really glad to be sitting down at this point. Um, I make sure she's okay. I look up. Uh, our church member is not there, right? He's not there. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, oh, now I kind of answer my email. So out comes the phone, fire off the email to answer, start deleting, start deleting. All of a sudden, practice is over. I've been nose to my email for about 20 minutes and miss an opportunity to hang out with one of our church members. I look back up at the end of practice. He's over there. So... I tell him afterwards, I'm like, man, I just got lost, and I'm so sorry. We could have hung out, and I'm sorry. He, oh, I had to do that. It's all good. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, I missed an opportunity to interact with a real-life person because I thought my email was suddenly more important for some reason. So I'm telling you that, guilty, guilty, okay? I'm trying to keep my phone in my pocket more often. I say that because sometimes when we're looking at whatever it is, we don't see because we're distracted. We don't see. Another reason why I think we miss this guy is because we don't care. And when I say we don't care, um, it, one of two ways uh, it comes across. Um, one is a lot less nefarious than the other. You just, you know, oh man, that poor fella. And you just kind of keep moving, right? Right? Just kind of keep on. The other is, th- this is, this is bad. That guy probably made some choices that put him there in the first place. Right? Everybody's with me on that. I, mean, I just see him and I know that he made some choices and that's probably why he's there. This is the, the disciples who follow Jesus in John 9. They see a blind man, born blind from birth. He says, uh, blind from birth. Hey, was it him or his parents who sinned that made him blind? And Jesus is like, look, it ain't that guy's fault. It ain't his parents' fault. It's for the glory of God. Watch this, you know? And so we take that kind of judgmental attitude. Oh, man, obviously they, they, you know, they, they made the choices that they have. We lack compassion. 
Can I just confess that most of the time, the people that I interact with who have this struggle, who lack compassion, if we don't see because of distraction, we don't care because of compassion, sometimes it's because they have a particular kind of sin that we don't have, therefore, God must be judging them. We have our own sin, and we're working our way through that. But they're sinners, right? I mean, that's how that goes. They're in their position because God, we don't care, and so we lack compassion. Thirdly, we lack confidence. Uh, something along the lines, a question would be something like, who am I? Who, who, who am I to actually go do this? Who am I? P- I mean, Peter and John have no theology degrees. None. Zero. Zero. Uh, in fact, just a, a, just a few weeks earlier, they were, the runs, they were the ones running away from Jesus as he f- had his greatest need. His hour of greatest need. They were the ones running away. So who who am I to actually do this? And the answer is not necessarily anybody except somebody in Jesus' hands who wants to be useful to him. Um, I promise you this. um, I'm your pastor today, not because theology degrees, but because of God's good grace to me, right? I mean, that's the truth. We lack confidence in stepping out and taking a risk. Uh, Fourthly, when we say line comment, like, I'm not sure I can actually help anybody. Can I really help someone? Fourthly, um, uh, we lack humility. If lacking confidence comes from maybe some baggage and stuff that we have in the past, lacking humility comes from, hey, we think we've got our lives pretty much together. So instead of rolling up on this guy like Peter and John in verse 6 and saying, hey, I have no silver and gold, you'd be like, hey, listen, I've got some stuff that I could probably offer you. Here's a Bible verse. Take one of these, call me in the morning, and we'll see if you're better. We like humility. Great story um, from church history. Thomas Aquinas, who was an author, philosopher um, in the uh, late Middle Ages, um, goes to visit, uh, I think it was Pope Innocent II, Pope Innocent II's running Thomas around. Oh, Thomas, look at all the glories of Rome here. Look at all this beautiful stuff. Incredible. He says to him at one point, hey, listen, you know, Thomas, Brother Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? And Aquinas replies, it's true, Holy Father, but neither can she say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That's a good story right there. (laughs) We lack humility. Uh, Number five, we settle for easy answers or easy actions. It is easiest to walk by this guy if I'm Peter and John, it's easiest to walk by, grab a couple of coins, and toss them in the hat and think that I've done my job. Right? That's easy. That's easy. Maybe easier, maybe not, depending upon how much guilt I want to, do, to just go ahead and sidestep, let somebody get between me and him so I can't really get to him, you know, to toss We settle for what's easy. I just point that out to say there are lots of easy paths out there. None of them typically are the paths that Jesus wants us to walk. Our world is filled with brokenness and hurting and people who don't know Jesus. Therefore, we need to be people who engage. Our little area, we've talked about this before, this 4B area from the Bay over to Brazoria County, up from the Beltway down to the beach, that little area, 500,000 plus people, 300,000 plus who don't know Jesus. We got plenty of work to do around here. Not to mention unreached people groups, not to mention unre- unengaged people groups, all of these kinds of things. There, there are all sorts of things out there that don't have easy answers and don't have easy actions. 
We, we don't need to settle for what's easy. Lastly, we're scared of embarrassment. We're scared of embarrassment. They've been down. Look at us. Look at us. In my mind, I'm going, I'm going to pray for this guy. But if I pray, what happens if he doesn't get up? More fundamental. What if I do this and God doesn't do that? Church, listen, this is so important, church family. I I say this to myself regularly, especially when I face situations that call for greater courage on my part. I cannot be, nor am I called to be, responsible for the results of my actions. I am simply responsible for the faithfulness of my actions. Same for you. God may or he may not. He may or he may not. I'm only called to be faithful to what I think God's told me to do. Same for you. Last little thing. Because if we suffer this kind of risk aversion, and so many of us do, especially in engineering world where we have you know, um, plans and then we've got backup plans and then we've got redundancies built into the backup plans of the contingencies that we planned when we had the backup plan meeting about the thing, right? Risk averse. Our aversion to risk does not nullify the commandment of God to go into the world. It does not negate the promises of God to be with us and to provide everything that we need. And it does not deplete his resources along the way. One more time. Our aversion to risk does not nullify the command that he has given us to go into the world. It does not negate the promises that he would be with us and that he would give everything that we needed um, when we needed it and he is in charge of all of it and it does not deplete his resources. It doesn't. And if it sounds like, oh man, kind of hammering this. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what I'm doing. I hope that we as a church capitalize on all the momentum that we have been given by God. I, typically, anybody have any spiritual experiences? Your life would be marked like this. Anybody? So coming out of what we came out of in the fall, it feels like we were pretty high. Everybody's, I think, basically agrees with that. The tendency then is... I don't want us to go back there. I don't want to uh, lose momentum. I want us to take off from here and have a whole different level upon which we um, modulate up there. Like, I want us to have a whole different thing. So what, how does that happen? Well, we have to be able to see the needs around us, and then we have to be willing to step out and take the risk to be a part of God meeting those needs. That, that's what he's calling us to as a church. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song of response, okay? Uh, Lord, so many of us are here this morning, and man, there's, there's plenty on our minds, plenty on our plates, stuff that needs to happen. God, I ask that you would do in us. Uh, Lord, I, this is what is in my heart right now. Do in us what needs to be done in order that we can be the church that you've called us to be. Nothing less than that. Nothing cheaper than that. Nothing short of that. But everything, everything that you want for us, I pray that you would do in us. For some that means risk. 
For some that means stepping out and having a conversation. Uh, For some that means uh, giving sacrificially in some other manner. For some that means serving in some capacity. Whatever it is, God, help us to step out into this. Lord, by your grace, would you cause us to to, um, catch this wave and experience this momentum and, and let it propel us to something new and something different. Let that be true personally. Let that be true of us as a church family. All of this now is in your hands, Father, and I'm so grateful for that. All of it is. Speak to us, though, and let us know where we need to step, the ways that we need to walk. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.